Well, you won't have a look at this one. Excuse me, you sent it to him? Obviously. Oh, it's Dev's calendar picture. Looking good there, Dev. How many other people you sent this to? Listen, you need to zoom in on the fruit bowl between his legs. I'm not zooming in. Please don't zoom in. Zoom in! All right, I'll zoom in. Oh, you can see your little... Particularly hairy kiwi. Call it what you want, mate. Mm. Excuse me, what are you doing now? I'm going to send it to Sal. She already got it. Has she? Yeah, yeah. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 164 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that can't begin to imagine the carnage that happened in Dev's store on Monday, but whatever it was, by Friday most of the fruit was reduced to clear. I'm Gavin. And I'm Team USA. USA. Yes, USA. USA. Except I don't really care. USA. USA. (laughs) The Olympics have begun in Tokyo. A little late. And weird. Is it? Yeah, it's weird with, you know, nobody in the stands for, like, oh, the opening yeah, sure, ceremonies sure. and stuff. And everything kind of toned down. And most, you know, in the parade of nations, almost all nations were masked up, as they should be. For some reason, I think it was Tajikistan. None of them were wearing masks. Well, you, like, know, what well, like. <laughs> you know what those Tajikistanis are like. Mm-hmm. You can't tell them. And that one guy from... Uh, Oh, gosh, where is he from? The, the Grease is the guy. Yes. <laughs> he's he's he Tonganese, isn't he? No, it's like... It's Tongo. Tongo, yes. Yeah, he's Tonganese. Yes. He was back. Yeah. So, Greased funny. to the max. That, this is like about the third time he's Wearing done this. a mask, but completely bare-chested. V- very little else. Very little else. So... It reminded me of myself in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Some highlights, but it's 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 funny because um, our oldest, who has on a daily basis no interest in sports, is always quite snarky when we go to like baseball games and stuff. Um, as a family, to the point where a mascot at one point dumped a bucket of popcorn over his head. Yeah, if the mascot <laughs> hadn't done that, I was going to do it. <laughs> You can only put up with so much. Right, yeah. It takes a lot to piss off Sparty, but mm-hmm. somehow he did. Is like <clears> obsessed <throat> with the Olympics. And even though he works third shift, he is up right now watching kickboxing or something. He has no humour about it either. No. Because it was, it was Taekwondo that was on when I was taking the dog out. Uh-huh. And I said, it's not the best joke in the world. No. It's not even something that I would have laughed at. Right. But I said, oh, is, is that kicking an Olympic sport now? <laughs> oh, apparently, that's quite funny. And um, and he said, Taekwondo's been an Olympic sport for ages. <laughs> okay. No banter. <laughs> it's a banter-free zone. Still, it's nice that, you know, he consistently takes an interest every four years. And something. So. In, so- in something. Because it's, it's not much. It's this... It's anime, 
and you know that weird video game he plays where you know mythical characters playing football yeah and sleeping that's it to be young and alive (laughs) (laughs) anyway don't get me started (laughs) we love him I like the um, opening ceremony is something that didn't really appeal to me or I didn't really get the Mm -hmm. because it always goes on forever until the year that I moved here, which is 2012. And you know how I feel about that London. Yeah. Not a fan. No. When it was London Games in 2012. Right. And I remember sitting, because you were back in Connecticut, I was sitting in, uh, in uh, Frank's, Frank's East yeah. you sports were, bar. Let's be honest, you were won over by the Dancing Tunnocks tea cakes. <laughs> it didn't hurt. <laughs> but watching the... the um, opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympics in a bar when I just left the uh-huh. UK. And it really did get, get got to me. I, I felt mm-hmm. a little, tearing up a little bit, especially the Queen looking at all these countries that she used to own, mm-hmm. walking by her. Used That's to what own she, them, she, uh, used to own them. She skydived, didn't she? Well, she didn't. Well, no. <laughs> Somebody pretending to be I her. I think health and safety would have been all over that. <laughs> hey, they let George H.W. Bush... Um, skydive well into his 80s so and he was just as much a figurehead mm. as the queen prince charles was probably like yes please let her skydive please no it'll be all right honest she'll be fine Ooh, camilla pack your bags Ooh. <laughs> she must never be queen which is the name of a harry hill show <laughs> she must never be queen <laughs> How are you? Uh, you know, for some reason, I'm just really tired this week. Like, I, I have all these plans of things to do, and by the end of the day, I'm just like, I, I cannot be bothered. Mm-hmm. We did to get to the movies, though, this week. We did. We did. I was able, because you love me very much, mm-hmm. you went to see Black Widow with me. I expect to get several brownie points for that. Because <laughs> I made a, I made a vowed. Never to go to another Marvel movie. movie. I was quite shocked when he said, you know, I'll come with you. Because Nick was supposed to come with me and I couldn't wake him up. Because he was doing his first favourite thing, sleeping. (laughs) Let's hope it was sleeping. You know, and um, so I was like, I'll just go by myself. I don't like the idea you're going by yourself. The first thing. The first time back in the Mm theatre? Yeah. I thought it'd be weird. It's going to be weird anyway, but be even weirder if you're sitting by yourself. So rather than sit by yourself... Sit by a sleeping Scotsman. So that went along. And, and it went, well, yeah, because it's very easy to fall asleep at our movie theater because it has reclining seats. Mm-hmm. It's fancy. It's dark. Yes. It's, it, was, it was good, though, because there was like maybe three other couples there at the same time and we were all well spread out mm-hmm. and everything. So. Because I was like, you were already, I was sitting editing last week's version of this. Mm-hmm. You went out to do something. I was like, I'll meet you at the cinema. Right. At five o'clock. Yes. Book tickets, because I ain't coming if there's, if we don't have seats. Right. Thinking that it's a Saturday night. Right. It's a Marvel movie that's not long been out. No, second week. It's going to be mobbed. Right. There was six people. Right. But yeah, it was, was good to get back to the cinema. Yes, it. yeah. I mean, this is a movie that people can watch from home with with Disney Plus with the premiere access. But I figured if I'm going to pay 
$20 to go see this movie. I, I want to have the full cinematic experience. So yeah, you were you were you were not hugely impressed by the movie. I was bored. I liked it. I liked the banter and and the dialogue and the the kind of theme of of family and stuff. You know, and I'm always a fan of of David Harbour no matter what he does. You know, he's the, he's the reason I still watch Stranger Things when it comes out cuz you know, it's kind of basically the same thing over and over again, but I really enjoy seeing him. So he was good as Red Guardian. Um, but the, the, like the action scenes. There's lots of people running about explaining the plot to each other, and then they have an action sequence, and then they run about explaining the plot to each other, and then they have another action, action sequence. And then for some reason, everyone changes clothes to dress in white, and then we have another action sequence, <laughs> and then the movie's done. Yeah, the, the the action sequence where everybody is falling out of airplanes and stuff wasn't great because there's like lots of debris and stuff falling from this floating. They seem to have forgotten how to do heft and the CGI. Nothing that was falling or nothing that was jumping had any weight to it. Right. That was my. And then you have people complaint. people in parachutes with like huge metal objects also falling from the sky, and it's like mathematically impossible that not one bit of debris hit somebody floating down using a parachute. That's maths, is it? That's maths. All right, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that marvellous Corey news. Oh. <laughs> they came to boogie. They like the nightlife. They came to boogie. Sally Lindsay and her drummer husband, Steve White, were among the guests at op- the opening party for financial company Sedulo's Liverpool offices, which apparently cost over one million pounds. And, you know, they are the financial company for a number of celebrities and, and a rugby team and stuff. And it was quite it was quite the night out in Liverpool, apparently. Oh. It's like a, a DJ there and a, a, lots of other a celebrities. DJ, was it a buffet? They, they have like. Were there party favors? They had like a tea room, <gasps> um, because at one point the building used to be like a biscuit factory. Um, a biscuit factory. Yes, a, a British biscuit, not an American biscuit. I so a we're talking cookie about factory. Liverpool. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, My mind never wandered in that direction. <laughs> and and one, one room was set up like like a bunker from World War II because reasons. And then they had like an American diner set up and everything. It was apparently quite quite the to-do and considering that most people haven't been out in mm-hmm. over a year, you know, you take what you can get oh, yeah. when it comes to parties. Right. <laughs> like taking you to a Black Widow movie. Daniel Brockelblank has spoken out openly on how times have changed since he first came out in the 90s, right after Shakespeare in Love. At the time, his representation tried to warn him off doing so, um, but he wanted to be honest and live his life, which is pretty huge for mm-hmm. an 18-year-old in the industry in the 90s. So, mm-hmm. bravo to him. That took a lot of guts, but apparently afterwards, he stopped being offered prime roles and was limited to the gay best friend rules 
and everything. Um, and, you know, he was no longer being called up to audition for better roles. So. Was Shakespeare in love before or after the hole? Was it after? What's the hole? That was the first thing that I saw him in. This kind of uh, British horror movie. Yeah, that's probably before. Kira Knightley was in it. That was probably before Shakespeare in Love. Thora, Thora Birch. So it was, that was after American Beauty. Yeah. Which, yeah, was before Shakespeare in Love. Right. Was it? Because American Beauty won an Oscar and then Shakespeare in Love won the Oscar. Anyway. Anyway. So, you know, and apparently he still gets flack and people on social media being homophobic and stuff. Apparently one lady said that all the gay kissing put her off her casserole and <laughs> Daniel Brockerbeck her casserole of heterosexual kissing. <laughs> Daniel Brockerbeck tweeted back at her and saying, Well that's all right because I can't ima- I imagine someone so homophobic would be making a rather bland casserole. Yeah. So Yeah, you get you get stuck in and gets stuck back with, yeah. with varying degrees of, right. of success I would say but it's refreshing and I mean now there there, there are so many gays in Hollywood I, I would imagine that it wouldn't really matter and there are some really great leading mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's still people that will make a big deal of it you gay, can be sure of that gay roles I mean Billy Eichner is right now working on the first gay rom-com so that'll mm, be yeah. that'll be good and fun and there so, must be a gay rom-com the, this is the first mainstream right yeah yeah there have been like because there's there's a whole industry of 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 gay films yes, 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 there is. <laughs> but yeah this would be the first one and you know i do love the billy eichner i love it when he you know walks around new york city shouting at people <laughs> which obviously he gets paid to do that there's people that do that for free <laughs> yes he gets paid for it but he doesn't do it anymore, obviously, because coronavirus. But anyway, moving forward. Please. <laughs> Finally, oh. in Karma is Still Working news, Bruno Langley, who was sacked due to sexual crimes, has tried to launch a music career um, and tried to get back on the horse by creating a six-track album. But memories are long and not fleeting, apparently, when it comes to his sexual crimes of a sexual nature. And his album has only garnered him 40p on Spotify. So, there you go. 40p. Somewhere towards a cup of tea. (laughs) He, I think, manhandled people, didn't he? I think that was what put the... A little... A bit bit handsy. A bit handsy. But I seem to remember him admitting to it. Yeah. Rather than prolonging it, so I think that just, maybe I don't know. Still, yeah. it's it's good that in this one instance, cancel culture seems to have worked yeah. in this one instance. So, and that's Corey News. Uh, controversial Corey News. Controversial Corey News. That party at the start really just <laughs> bl- blew the scales from my eyes, <laughs> and now we'll podcast for coffee. Many thanks to Lauren for our coffees this week. Woohoo! Thank you, Lauren. I feel a little bad about this one. Why? I feel like I kind of uh, press ganged Lauren into buying our coffees for us. How did you do that? 
she mentioned on Twitter that she really enjoyed the uh, the little ITV3 synopsis thing mm-hmm. that I was doing where the, Gail would do something unexpected. Right, like travel through time. Mm-hmm. And get She's the word wrong to Who. smack my bitch up and hide plans for the Death Star in an R2 <laughs> unit. She enjoyed those and, and wished that I um, would start it up again mm-hmm. and offered five bucks for, for doing so. And you said, well, you can do that using our Ko-Fi. I did. And she did. Right. So you have to do it now. <laughs> and I did. Right. That was the, the, the time, time travel, travel one. one. One of my better ones, I think. It was nicely constructed. I retweeted it. Because it had... She did time travel at the start, so it was mm-hmm. past tense. And in the middle part was present tense. And in the final part was Gail will travel through time. Right. So future, future tense. tense. Well structured there. I thought so. I, I dare say nobody noticed. But I noticed. Anyway, yeah, thank you very much to Lauren. And apologies if you feel coerced into this. I'd still well, no, feel a bit because she offered that. $5 first. Yeah, but I think she was joking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you want to buy You are us, so British. I know, I just feel... <laughs> I feel... I really don't like self-promotion You are that way. so British. Uh, do you know what? I think I'm just me. <laughs> I'm just... This is just typical me. But anyway, if you want to buy us next week's coffee, Lauren, you're off the hook. If you want to buy us <laughs> next week's coffee, you can go to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. The talk of the street. Yes, I forgot to add the the. Yes, you the did. Promo with your, with your husband mug mm-hmm. last week. This week you are drinking out of your cranky mum <laughs> I mug. call it my hateful mum. Mug, which is amusing because it has the word love written on it. <laughs> I can't. Have we told this story before? I can't remember. Your mother, two Christmases ago, yes, got me this mug which yes. has a picture of my mum on it <laughs> with the word love and pastel. Yes, it's a lovely mug. Yes, and nice. uh, and I saw it and I, I got all it choked all up. Choked up. So I thought, how delightful is this? Here's my mother-in-law, whom I love, mm-hmm. giving me a a mug off your mum. My mum. And then, you I also love. A, then I noticed her expression and, <laughs> and I remembered I remembered the events of the day that led up to that photograph being taken. My mum was not happy. No, no, because it was like a family event. That she did not want to go to. And she <laughs> it, made it fairly clear that she didn't want to be there. So right. she has a face like thunder on this yes. mug with the word love and pastel underneath it. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And I had sent my mother multiple pictures of your mum. But according to my mother, this is the only one that came through. Uh-huh. The hate mum one. <laughs> it makes me laugh. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about a massive clingy thing. Is this you after a few pints? That's right. This was Emma's advice to Seb about his mum. Cling on to those that we have left, she said to Seb, because he was annoyed about the whole twin thing. Again. Yep. I was Gavin and you were not a cake. I am still not a cake. Nope. Although I did... uh, Cake status. Negative. I did did watch uh, the most recent season of Nailed It last night. So I I have been watching cakes. But I am not a cake. 
you were not a cake. We hoped that I wasn't a cake. And this seemed to be things that didn't look like cakes that were cakes. That's that's what that chat was about. Right, yes. Here's a... Um, a chicken breast. Right. An uncooked chicken breast. <laughs> that's actually a cake. Which is actually a cake. This was week 15 of the pandemic. Christy was unsure <laughs> of Carla's return to the factory last week, hoping for something newer and fresher for her. How did that work out, Christy? Because... Oh. Right. We talked for longer than was necessary about the differences between Rock of Love and the Flavour of Love. Adam's hair is a bit oofed. Fake charity lady Elaine shows up to tell Yasmin of her experiences of Tim's dad, which eventually leads to the nightmare sequence with three Tim's dads. Misery Gut Seb is suffering from existential angst, according to Emma, while Abby moves in with Kev and Jack and gets on with her life. Toy is reluctant to talk about fostering. Daniel deals with his grief in the creepiest way possible, which yes. costs some £150 an hour. Mm-hmm. Aggie is running herself ragged. Adam's obsession with Gary finally bears fruit, but he has to face the fury of Sarah. Brian's Christmas present from Cathy meets an unfortunate and violent end. This was Brian's metal detector that was destroyed by Gary, yes. which led me to say that this couldn't be more suspicious if Gary was wearing a T-shirt that said, I killed Rick the Chin. Right, which um, he's still not been prosecuted for. No. Let's remember. That poor, that poor tell. No, it was a yeah, the metal detector. Yeah, that he tore out of Brian's hands. Right, and then smashed, smashed on the ground. <laughs> As you do. Moment of the week was Yasmin telling Tim's dad to go fuck himself in the prison phone call, and a boring moment of the week was Gary telling Nina how everyone needs to pull together and be nice to each other because of the COVID. I think we kind of felt that that was not. Gary saying those words, that was the show saying those words. It was rather disingenuous coming out of the mouth of a man who just smashed a metal detector. (laughs) And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline today is Naked Weatherfield. Fancy a kiwi, my darling. Fancy a what? A kiwi. A kiwi. A quickie kiwi. A kiwi quickie. Aren't kiwis green? They are on the inside, but they're brown on the outside and hairy. Okay. Yeah. On Monday, Curtis is up in Emma's flat when he gets a call on his mobile from Steve asking for him and Emma to go see him. Curtis inadvertently blabs that Emma is in the shower, then quickly backtracks and says that they'll be there as soon as they can because mm-hmm. he doesn't want Steve to think that they've just got their hole off each other. Which they have. That's yeah. exactly what's happened. So Brian is chatting with Kevin and Roy's rolls about the photo shoot. He has the idea of modelling the series against classic paintings, which I thought Mm -hmm. was a lovely idea. Yes. Kev wants to keep the secret from Abby, while Emma ponders whether Kevin shaves, reckoning him to be quite Quite the hairy hairy. beast. Yes. Tyrone and Kev are getting ready for their photo shoot. Tyrone goes first, checking to make sure that Kev isn't about to pull out and leave him hanging. Not like that. And also not like that. Mm -hmm. They've got their little white uh, dressing gowns on. Yes. So Steve runs into Emma and she confesses that she got her hole off of Curtis last night but because it does it awkwardly mm. um, so she runs off and then when Tyrone comes out in a bowler hat and a dressing gown Kev bottles it. Yeah. Emma has talked Kev round and then she and Curtis are heading over to get Dev ready when uh, Curtis gets a call and tells Emma that she'll catch that he'll catch up with her. Later. Inside Kev has a fake tash and a big hat and he's sacking himself up throwing some mm-hmm. punches into the mirror and he derobes when he thinks it's Brian coming in but it's actually Abby Yes, and her jaw hits the floor yes it does like she's never seen his penis 
or his two manly testicles before. <laughs> He's kind of dressed up as the Laughing Cavalier, it turns out. Yes. Kev, the Laughing Cavalier. Apparently. And I think we kind of, they, they point the, the irony of this out, don't they? Yes. And Abby is I think dumbstruck. Ty- I think Tyrone's supposed to be that, that figure with the bowler hat on with the apple. Only the apple is a bit lower this time. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that uh, at Brian's choices here. Yes, they're they're kind of they're they're classy and they're they're wider ranging than I would give them credit for. Right, is that me being art snobby? It might be. Well, Brian is kind of a snob, so it's not that surprising that he would go this route. It's just I'm. <sighs> I'm trying to imagine how how he, he's pulling some of these things off, so to speak. So, you know, because some of these require an awful lot of props and arranging. And a lot of planning. Yeah. That, that this all feels kind of rushed as well. Yeah. So I'm not, but anyway. Anyway, you know, at least Brian's choices gave you an opportunity to, to flex about having visited the Chicago Institute of Art. Yeah, that was a bit of a flex, wasn't it? It was. Oh, have, 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 have I been to the Institute of Art? Well, it turns out that happened. Quite a bit of a flex. Photographic evidence to prove it. Yes. That I is was good. Not, I was not there. No. No, I haven't been. So anyway, Kev is embarrassed and wanted to keep this secret uh, from Abby because of the whole everything that's going on with the Seb thing and the, the upcoming court case and everything. But she thinks that seeing Kev's meat and two veg is just the tonic that she needed, although she has concerns over the temperature in the garage. <laughs> Quite a few temperature jokes mm-hmm. this week. Well, <laughs> things tend to contract. Which is odd cold. because isn't it unseasonably hot in the UK right now? Yeah. Maybe not when this was getting filmed though. <laughs> Dev is badgering Emma to be Mr. December. Uh, he's, he says that Steve is, a, is at best... March at a push. Everyone knows that he's Dev Sember. Dev Sember, he says. Mm-hmm. Then Curtis comes in and tells Emma that he has a dentist appointment, so he leaves the rest of the shoot in her hands, which I thought was a bit, mm-hmm. it's a bit off. She doesn't seem to care. No. So Curtis comes into the bistro and Debbie eyes him suspiciously when she sees that he's brought in a lady friend with him mm-hmm. who definitely isn't Emma. No. And Danny's in the bistro and overhears Curtis and the woman chat about cheesecake. You need to tell her, she says... Curtis thinks it's going too well for Emma to hear that he might drop dead any second. We got a lot of use out of Danny this week. We did. We get more. Danny is the new Ronnie in that we get more of him than the Baileys he is adjacent to. <laughs> yep. He told a joke about rolls later. Yes. <laughs> that I will not mention again. Yeah. Danny's growing on me. Yeah. yeah. He's not bad. But yeah, so this is Curtis's secret. He, like the rest of the population of the world, might drop dead at any second. <laughs> I'm still I'm meant to care about this. Really? Uh, especially since it's quite vague. Oh, all the way it's through. super vague. And I don't think it gets any clearer. No, no. And again, there's a great opportunity to incorporate what's going on in the world and make it COVID-related. And they don't, they don't take it. They don't take that opportunity to, because I think that might actually make people care because I think more people 
would be like, oh, God, yeah, you know, I have a friend who now can't walk five minutes without gasping mm-hmm. for air because of, you know. But they introduced him, and they introduced him as being a student. Right, yes, he's, he's studying to be, to be a, a doctor. doctor. So this is a, a long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't become a doctor in a year. Right? No. So it's, what, five years, six years, maybe? Something like that. So it's a long Long mm-hmm. process that he's involved in to become a doctor, and that's mm-hmm. that's how we we see him. He's he's just working his way through mm-hmm. college or university or whatever it is. He takes a liking to Emma, but he's kind of he's awkward, and mm-hmm. it's like he's never talked to a girl before, never mind been with a girl or or, right. or anybody. And that kind of goes on, and you mm-hmm. wonder, well, he, he seems to be having phone conversations with people that mm-hmm. you don't expect him to have, and no. and so so what's going on there? And then we find out that he has this heart condition that he might... The, the, the last heartbeat that he has might be the last heartbeat that he has. Right, yes. And none of this kind of adds up well together. No. And I mean, it is a thing. I mean, I've I'm known... Sure it is. I've, I'm not sure I'm not sure how I care about this in, in, right, in because, terms of Curtis, though. Who right. I know... Everything that I've just said is everything I know about him. Right. It's all over all over again, isn't it? It's a little bit, and we feel like that that's still kind of lingering. So right. we have two of these going on, and then at some point he shows his scar off, and that yeah. harkens back to Leanne's scar as well, which mm-hmm. is, that feels like it's all still very present. So mm-hmm. it, it does feel like we're duplicating this yeah. to a certain extent. And and, and again, it, it does nothing to make me care about it. Right. Fact, we only it, see the top of his scar. It'd be nice to see the whole thing. Sale. I just so, mean, you know, because you see one scar and it's like a few inches. But if you would see like a whole heart surgery scar that goes like practically all the way down your body, that's quite a bit more traumatic. Yeah, maybe we don't want to see that at 7.30. Anyway. <laughs> so Debbie runs over to Dev telling Steve, who's guarding the door outside, about Curtis and this dolly bird. Steve runs off. Debbie goes into the shop and is shocked to see Dev's genitals, so starts throwing his stock at him. Meanwhile, Steve confronts Curtis in the bistro. The girl insists that uh, nothing's going on between them, but Curtis surprises Steve by admitting it's a fair cop. Steve warns Curtis to break things off with Emma, and privately, Danny tells Curtis to tell people the truth because he heard about the whole mm-hmm. drop and dead thing. But Curtis doesn't want any sympathy, and he's quite happy to take his medicine. Right, yeah. It's like... I really like this girl, and I would rather continue to lie to her and break up with her <laughs> than tell her the truth. Right. And then That's how much I love her. Maybe get, you know, some sympathy that I'm uncomfortable taking. <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know. Dev is apparently, is he like Pan, do you think? Yeah, there was the grapes, the little He's got like the little grapes. wreath on his head, and he, he's covered in fruit, <laughs> as we will learn later. <laughs> So Davis hilarious in this scene as he pops up from behind the counter <laughs> and then he runs away with his hands in the air as <laughs> Debbie continues to throw things at him. It was absolutely brilliant. Yes, and we get... I don't know why the door isn't locked. Just lock the door. Right. But anyway. Anyway. So Brian has moved on now to Kirk and Chesney. There's a, there's a total conveyor belt of characters in this. I think we're still on Monday. Um... That the photos are getting done while Emma is getting people prepped. It's it's a it's poetry in motion. Yes, unfortunately, we don't get to see everybody who's in the, ca- no. the calendar. Brian is wanting Kirk and Chesney to reenact American the Gothic. 
<clears throat> yeah, this is where uh, the Chicago Institute of Art comes up. Right. But Chesney pulls rank when he's told that he's going to be the daughter in it. But Kirk does look like the... Daughter? Wife. It's his daughter. It's his wife, isn't it? No, it's his daughter. It looks like his wife. Everyone thinks it's his wife, but it's not. It's his daughter. I thought for sure it was his wife. No. But Kirk's better at being the, the old man. Right, yeah, because he is taller than Ches. Right, he has that going for him. Right, and it's just, you know, it, it's not like they're going to dress him up as a woman. They just stand next to one another and hold hold this rake mm-hmm. and, and look solemn. It's not like, it, I can't imagine that they would even be filming the bottom half of their there, bodies. There would be no need to if you're... If you're doing American Gothic, just stand next to each other. It's barely button up. You hold a rake and look solemn. Mm -hmm. How hard is that? (laughs) Oh, Chesney's... Chesney is just such a diva. (laughs) So, a change of plan at the factory then. Kirk and Chesney are God and David in Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel thing. Adam. Is it Adam? Yes, because it's it's him giving life to humanity. Why did I think it was David? And who's David? Because David gets mentioned later because somebody says that somebody is more David-esque than you would imagine. No. There are three consecutive Kirk jokes. As they start to dress up, Brian realises that this isn't going to work either. Because Kirk's playing about with the beard and not paying attention just generally. Right, well, they, they, he, he realises that Chesney should be playing God and and Kirk should be playing Adam with like a, a vacuous look on his face. So... <laughs> So Cutters tracks Emma down to the factory where neither of them work and he dumps her, which coming off the back of getting his hold of her is behaviour bound to be frowned upon. He neglects to tell her why, just says this isn't working out. Now Steve is joining the doesn't work at the factory party. Emma is in bits about Curtis. Steve says if he's the sort of guy who's going to get his hold of you and then dump you, you're better off rid. Chin up, girl. Then Danny catches Steve on his way out of the factory. He can't tell him the full story because this isn't his story to tell. But he says that Steve has got it wrong about Curtis and he needs to back off. Mm-hmm. So Steve now goes to the bistro and speaks with Curtis and demands to know the truth. The girl Danielle is from his terminal illness support group. Yes. And what, apparently demanded a meeting with him? Or uh, just needed to meet up with him or something, maybe... To make sure that he was still alive and stuff? Maybe there's like... Some sort of sponsorship involved or something? I imagine the demand on people's time works the other way. Mm-hmm. That he demands her time, not she demands his time. Well, it seems like they're both members, that they're both terminally ill. And so they're friends from there. But it, Oh, she's again, ill? I didn't think that she was ill. Yeah. It, yeah? That's, that's, was, that, was that mentioned? That's, that's what, because she said, he says, he doesn't say that like she's the facilitator or anything. She, oh. He says she's a friend from it. So what I imagine is like they team up with one another and have to meet with one another to kind of like a like a sponsorship sort of thing with AA. Okay. You know, that's that's what I'm imagining is happening. But who knows? Because apparently we find out later that that wine merchant was also not the wine merchant, <laughs> and that was a different woman than hmm. this woman. So yeah, the wine merchant's a guy. We find out. Yes, sexist wine merchant. So, Curtis tells Steve that he has a life-threatening disease and we don't know him well enough to give a shit. We learn that this is a non-specific, vague heart condition that means he could have a normal life or he could drop dead, just like everyone else. He has died a couple of times, in part, apparently, which I think makes him a zombie. <laughs> you should have said, says Steve, Emma deserves the truth. Brains, says Curtis. And Steve <laughs> agrees to keep the secret. 
<laughs> now Steve goes back to see Emma, who is still in tears. She agrees that Curtis was a rat and she can't forgive him, but she loved him. And he's going to get a piece of her mind, God damn it. Mm-hmm. Steve consoles her, but maintains Curtis's secret. And on Wednesday, Steve and Tracy are at Emma's discussing that rat bag, Curtis. Tracy demands that Steve makes their feelings known to the absolute shitbag that he is. Mm-hmm. But on his way out, Steve bumps into a forlorn Curtis. He has a hospital appointment and is looking for a taxi, and apparently the support group don't do that kind of thing. So Steve offers to take him and provide support. Right, It's yeah. a very specific uh, out-of-scope activity I, for a support group not I, to offer. I think... I. Uh, I think if he asked somebody, a member of his support group, to give him a ride to the hospital, mm. they would say yes. But the gods of plot. But but he just doesn't want to ask. He wants to do things. You know, he seems like one of those guys who's very independent. And he doesn't seem it. Well, he seems well the, with the whole. You know, I don't want anybody to know. But then again, you would think a person like that wouldn't belong to a support group. That's true. I don't know this whole. This, you're right. The whole thing just kind of seems kind of thrown together, doesn't it? It's plot, plot, like, plot, all right, plot, plot. What, what are we, how are we going to mess this up for Emma sort of thing? Mm-hmm. All right, we've, already done, we've done this, we've done this, we've ticked this box, we've ticked this box. Right. Terminal illness, why not? We haven't had that sure. in, oh, six months. <laughs> Later, Tracy trying to sell some of the nutty calendars to David. When she spots Steve and Curtis driving off in a taxi, looking all pals, he seems. Yeah, apparently, apparently, neither David nor Nick are, are are taking it off for charity. Nick seemed to be using my excuse that his cock's far too big, <laughs> wasn't he? I thought he said something like that. Sort of like, well, I, I think they couldn't it was, accommodate me or something like that. It, it, yeah, it, it, Nick's like, well, they didn't ask me, and, and I think it wasn't it. Leah who says, well, that's because you'd just be showing them all up. Wouldn't you? Something like that. Probably and, and, and that sort of thing comes better out of uh, somebody else's mouth. And he doesn't, so to speak. He doesn't disagree to that. David seems he's pretending that he's not, but he seems a little bothered that he wasn't asked. Bothered. He's <laughs> totally bothered. Tracy decamps to the rovers where she sees Emma. In comes Debbie, who overdoes the sympathy for Emma and blurts out about the other women and how Steve is definitely in the know about this. What a fucking rat, says Tracy. Apologetic, Debbie thinks that the truth is better out, girl power, etc. But Tracy will postpone burning her bra just yet and tells Emma that she saw Stephen Curtis in the taxi. So Emma decides to call him, but, you know, you can't get through. Now, driving a taxi is Steve's job. Yes. He can't be particular about who he puts in his taxi Which cab. Which is David's point. Right. It's so- what, he's finally doing his job, says right. David. <laughs> yeah. So Tracy being like all up in arms that he gave Curtis a ride. They were palsy though. They were palsy. In his taxi cab. So Tracy grabs Steve and Curtis when they get back. Accusing Steve of being on the wrong side of this, Curtis decides to tell the truth and goes into the rovers to speak with Emma and tells her about the woman from the support centre and his terminal illness and why he ended things and why we should care. But Emma isn't interested and she storms off. He chases after her and pleads his innocence, explains how he had a heart condition as a kid. He shows her his scar and explains that this condition that we don't really care about. Right, yeah, he explains that his dad died of of, of this sort of... It, it, at first it sounds like he has the thing that his dad died of is that thing where the, the muscles tighten, stiffen up mm-hmm. and doesn't allow the blood to, to pump. 
But then he says, oh, but when I went in, you know, the first time it happened, they found some other things wrong that they can't explain. And that's like, why do why are we making this needlessly complicated? Mm-hmm. And you still what, want to be a doctor? Sure. What? Why are we making this needlessly complicated where... Just give them the COVID. Where it's... If, right. Where it's so vague. Emma, though, thinks that he kept that from her and coerced her into bed, allowing her to share all her fears with him, but not returning the, the favour. Mm-hmm. She doesn't trust him anymore, and she leaves him to it. Curtis has given up and asked Steve for a cab out of town. He and Emma are dead in the water. He wishes things could have worked out differently. Steve sucks a thoughtful tooth and tells Curtis to take a seat in the cab office. He has something to do, and then we see the, the ungainly sight of Steve running. Right. Yeah. Steve pretends to call Tim in, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really. Yeah, we've got a 520 going to somewhere right. that this guy that we don't care and, about is And to yeah. And so he goes to sit in the office to wait so for, a, ca- for come, a cab that's not supposed not to come. ever show up. Steve comes barging into the house to tell Emma to go talk to Curtis. They're good together and he makes her happy. Tracy isn't so sure what with the impending death thing, but Steve thinks immediate happiness is what it's all about. Right. Yeah. And, and brings Oliver into it that, you know. He's sad that Oliver is dead, but he wouldn't trade the time that he had with him right. for anything, and we have to take advantage of the time that we have. So Emma and Steve run to the cab office, but Tim's already picked him up. God, that Tim being so on the ball. Right, well, because... Um, Eileen did it. Eileen called him, called him in anyway. Curtis isn't answering his phone, so Steve tells Emma to use the cab radio. So she does. And there's this just beautiful scene where she's... Talking into the little... Right. And she she's yeah. apologising for jumping down his throat. She needed time to think because she's, like she's like a tea bag. You see, you, you need time to let these things brew and she needs to figure out how she feels about things. She can't make snap decisions and, and all that sort of stuff. And she's decided that she doesn't want him to go. She loves him. Over. So Emma's back at work scrubbing tables all Cinderella-like when her Prince Charming comes in. He's sorry that he left before the tea brewed, but he's got her a little gift, and it's a tea infuser for future. He drove past a tea infuser shop on the way back to the street. Apparently. She thinks that they want to carry on. She says that she can handle it. All the health stuff, mm-hmm. she can handle it. Yeah. Together, they're totally worth it. Yes. Her Brains, lo- says Curtis. Yes. She says, let's remember, my little brother just died mm-hmm. of a terminal illness, so I can handle terminal illnesses as his... Till they're falling out of my arse. Yes. On Friday, at Royal Rolls, Curtis and Emma are having coffee and Emma's clearly still hung up about the whole terminal illness thing and is looking at him with particularly big puppy eyes. Right. This is why he doesn't tell people, he says. Mm-hmm. He tells them to never change, but dial it down a little bit. So, in other words, change. Then the printers get in touch, asking for the pictures for the calendar. Mm-hmm. So Curtis rushes off to take care of that and he's seeming a little bit stressed. Mm-hmm. At Royal Rolls, Toya catches Emma looking up sudden death syndrome on her phone. And without interfering too much, Toy gives her some good advice, telling her just to focus on the NHS websites mm-hmm. and don't image search in public. Good yes. points. And then she buys Emma one of Roy's Eccles cakes. Yes, because they are divine. Then Steve's at Dev's, who's worried that he hasn't yet seen the proofs of the calendar shoot. In comes Alistair from the golf club, and Dev is suddenly reluctant to talk about the calendar and then insists that he didn't take part in it because the Alistair guy says, oh, this is all very 1990s, isn't it? This right, Phil yeah. Monty stuff, which is what I said last week. <laughs> Dev has a membership application pending with this place, though, and wants to keep keep it looking like he's a, right. a, a stalwart of the community type thing. Right, which this and, calendar and, and doesn't is, get his cock and balls out. This calendar is supposed to be proof of being a stalwart for the community because it's done for charity. Right. 
This guy. Yeah, he's a dick. He's a dick. Curtis goes to see Dev, who now wants to pull out the calendar. Addy explains his reluctance is golf-based. He says that the club are golf fascists. Curtis insists that which the makes image... me, which makes it me feel like they were never going to let Dev in. Exactly. To begin with, Curtis insists that the image is tasteful, but Dev makes a Spielberg demand to see the proofs first. So at home, Addy's working on Dev's laptop and gets the email from Curtis. <clears throat> he checks out the image and says that initially it looks relatively tasteful mm-hmm. until Addy thinks that one of Dev's knackers has been accidentally left on view behind the fruit. Dev inspects and identifies a particularly hairy kiwi. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, says Addy, but it still looks like one of your balls. Addy the, is hilarious in this. They're both hilarious. The way they... No, no you have to tilt your head this way. And, and they, they both, both tilt their head that way. Just perfectly in synchrony. It was... It was you are guffawing on the couch chef's, this. chef's kiss right. you know this is why this is why we love the Allahans so mm-hmm. very much and it was there's just so much a wonderful Dev this week yes because <laughs> even and though Addy. he's been a bit of a dick he's still really funny yes and, uh, and Addy's little uh, additions to this <laughs> making things worse again <laughs> chef's kiss right. you know they're both just they both have Really great comedic timing, which mm. we've praised in the past. But, yep. you know, it's just because it's something that can't really be taught. And they're both so very talented. And They're on a, a winner here with the Nuddy yes. Calendar, right? The Nuddy yes. Calendar gives ample chance to to make these comedy moments happen. Right. But they, um, they really get the most out of it. Yes. Without treading on yeah. know, sort of and familiar ground too much. I mean... Of of all the comedic stuff that happens with this calendar this week, it's it's really the dev stuff that really really works because mm-hmm. again, the comedic talents right. of the Allahans greatly outweigh the timing and the comedic talents of of other <laughs> characters in the show. And <sighs> let's be frank. I think we have gotten to the point where the Kirk is dumb jokes just they're not funny anymore. They're overdone. And maybe because the Kirk stuff that really works for me this week is not this. It's when he in another storyline drops a bomb on someone. Right. Drops a truth bomb. On someone. Yeah. If if we have a scene with Kirk in it and there's an opportunity f- for Kirk to misunderstand what they're talking about, they go for it. Yeah. A little too much. Yeah. Because that time when I've already mentioned, there's, yeah. three, there's three misunderstandings right. one after the other. And I can't be bothered writing them down. Yeah. Or describing them. Right. I just feel like complaining about them. It's <laughs> either Kirk is dumb mm-hmm. or Beth gets jealous very easily. So right. watch what you say around Kirk. Yep. Those those are the two Kirk jokes that have just that horse is already underground, yeah. and we're still beating it. Dave grabs Emma and cuts on the street. He shows them the image, and Emma nearly faints before Dave points out that it's not his ball; it's a particularly hairy kiwi. Yes. He wants the image pulled, but it's too late. The printers are printing them as we speak. So Emma follows Curtis into the bistro kitchen, worried about him, stressed, and sees him stumble a little bit. It looks like he's about to pass out, but he quickly oh. kind of comes round again. 
cuts down, plays it, but Emma is clearly freaked out. He goes off to take care of customers in another storyline, and Debbie comes in. Hello, Emma, who doesn't work at the Bistro Kitchen, but is in the Bistro Kitchen, she says. And she really does. <laughs> she really does say, hello, person who doesn't work here. Right. Debbie is so good this week. She gets... She gets a very... She's in it very good. little, but what she's in is it's, tremendous. Yes, absolutely. And it's hard to imagine her being the baddie in the storylines that she was at the start of the year, remember? Right, With the yes. skyscraper stuff. We've all forgotten about that. Yes. Because she's great again. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad she stayed. Emma wants to talk to her about Curtis. So Steve and Dev are in the pub when Tim comes in and Steve shares the pictures of Dev. Tim points out that they can see Dev's particularly hairy kiwi and he goes on to share it to Sally, but Steve points out that he's already done it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Steve has shared it with everyone on the street. Right. Then Curtis... Curtis? Then Curtis catches up with Emma in the Rovers. Debbie has sent him home because of drop-dead stress factor nine thing. If this is going to work between them, Emma is going to need to trust him. Brains, yeah. says Curtis, and then he leaves. All right. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. This is a good story. Like, this has got everything in it. It's funny. Right. There's a lovely scene with the radio mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed with uh, Emma. Mm-hmm. I've seen something like that in a movie. Yes. A number of times. Right. <laughs> but it's, it's done it's, really, really it's well. It's just like the whole head tilt thing has been done mm-hmm. in movies and shows before in the past where somebody still is good. looking at something and they have to tilt their heads. But it's still good still and it good. still works. They're, they're tropes that if done right, and I think they're done right in both of these scenes, mm-hmm. they work. Right. I agree. Do you care about Curtis's illness? I think I would care more if it was more related to something like COVID that everybody's mm-hmm. been experiencing over the past year and a half. And we seem to I, have just character after character coming in at the show that has a secret. And this is just another example of that. Right. This is a trope that no longer works. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care about Curtis, but I care about Emma and uh, her good happiness. Right, good point. She must be so happy. Because... Because I care about Emma and her happiness and because she has been she has been put through so much mm-hmm. over and over and over again where she thinks she's happy with a man and the man leaves her for someone else. Right. That for it to not be another woman, for it to be a terminal illness is kind of a breath of fresh air. <laughs> and it seems like Curtis does genuinely like her. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And... You know, the two of them are great together. He's cute. He's got a beard that mysteriously disappears and reappears <laughs> throughout but the course of the we week. All? Haven't we all? But yeah, I want. Oh, I, I am invested in keeping him alive, not for Curtis's sake, but for Emma's sake. And I think that's right. what the show was kind of banking on—that people aren't going to care about this character who's just been introduced necessarily, but people really do care about Emma. Emma is one of the more beloved characters on the show. And right. so I think they're they're trying to feed off of Emma's goodwill. But once again, though, Anton Chekhov is in his grave rubbing his temples because we're introducing something here that has to be used at some point. Otherwise, what's the point of it? Right. If it, you can't threaten that this character could drop dead at any moment if there isn't the, if there isn't a very real risk that that happens. Right. So, so it, Emma's so Emma's happiness will be short lived. Fleeting, you would you would think. Or it could just be like David's um, epilepsy and Craig's 
OCD and will never be mentioned again, right. unless convenient. Our next storyline this morning is Where There's a Will. On Monday, Todd has been a prick suggesting inappropriate songs for the wedding. Losing My Religion was one of them. Yes. Billy takes a call from Ed who wants a word with him, which Billy takes as being good news about the insurance because, yeah, people phone you to tell you good things. That happens. Meanwhile, Summer is having problems getting hold of Will. But when Ed meets with them in Royce Rolls, it's actually bad news, and then there's some more bad news thrown on top of it. No one's working on the house because of Paul quitting, and insurance isn't going to pay out. Does Ed really only have one person working for him at a time? I don't know who else is working for him. Because yeah, because Michael, Michael now works out. at the factory. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Maybe Ed should be nicer to the people who work for him. <laughs> or, or pay them. Right, yeah. How how on earth was he not able to pay Paul when Paul's the only employee? You know got? what you do in that situation? You pay them out your own pocket. Right, yeah. That's what you do. Absolutely. So Billy gets on the phone to the bishop to beg for more cash. Then David and Paul land in the rovers. Ed is there nursing his bad mood and he leaves without saying a word when he sees Paul. Tough crowd, says David. And Paul calls right, someone. Right, David, David works up, really, right. really hard to say, all right. You have these problems, you have these problems, let's call the whole thing off, sort of thing. Right. You know, David is he winds attempting, him up a little bit as well. It, he's winding him up in an attempt to be a peacemaker between the two of them. You know, he's like, he's winding them up to put all, all the dirty laundry out. So, this is the issues. Let's shake hands and be friends again. Because obviously he didn't steal the heater. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Ed, you know... Didn't mean to throw you under the bus in the way that that he did. Right. You know. I don't know. So then Paul calls Summer and asks to meet up later for coffee. David is slowly becoming the new Nina, isn't he? <laughs> Deb, uh, David. <laughs> the reinvention of David, Deb, David, Deb, and Danny. The the three Ds of Coronation Street just going around and. It's like the Dudley Brothers. And three D through a table. And 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 sticking. Masking tape over plots, you know. <laughs> They're the conduits of the street. So the bishop doesn't have an office and decides to meet Billy and Roy's Rolls instead. The bishop isn't keen on coughing up more money and ignores Todd when he starts chipping in. Todd yeah. needs to shut the fuck up yeah, on that. Yeah, seriously, Todd needs to shut the fuck up and leave people alone. This project has been mismanaged from the start, says the bishop, and there's no more money. Billy realises that he's out of his depth and hands in his resignation. He's just not cut out to be Weatherfield's archdeacon. And Todd grabs his collar. Can I told you that? After the bishop has left, Todd tries to talk Billy round. He loved that job, and Billy admits that maybe he loved it too much, and that was the problem. You have so much to offer that place, says Todd, and then is unable to name one thing. Right. New best buds, David and Paul, are in Roy's Rolls chatting about the mysteries. What? <laughs> I have no idea what I've written here. <laughs> the mysteries mirrors and male hair grooming. What the fuck is that? They're talking about, you know, Paul Paul doesn't understand why people want to see the back of their heads. Oh, yes, yes, yes. With a mirror, you know, and and David's like, well, it's the only time that they'll ever get to see it. And he's like, but what if something happens and they don't like the back of their head? And and David says, you know, he could shave in. Mm -hmm. He could shave, you know, a poop emoji into the back of their head. So they'd be like, all right, looks good. Bye. This is true. Men don't care. Because that's men for you. Yep. My barber doesn't even bother showing me the back of my head anymore. Well, no, because it it looks kind of like the front of your head. 
Only with fewer eyebrows. <laughs> fewer eyebrows. <laughs> so there still are eyebrows then, but just fewer. <laughs> David advises <sighs> Paul, nope, not yet. Summer comes in in a foul mood, unhappy to see Paul, clearly still blaming him for the pump theft, which has now left Billy without a job, she says. David advises Paul to forget about her. Summer really needs to get over herself. She's turning into a right sanctimonious wee cow. Well, you know, when you have Billy for a parent, it's going to happen eventually. Sure. David and Paul are back in the rovers, and this time it's Billy who's there and who walks out when he sees Paul. Right, so Billy is still blaming him too, and Mm -hmm. it's just so fucked up. David is pragmatic about it, but Paul starts beating himself up about it. He hates seeing Billy like this, thinking that Paul is scum. Well, that's his problem, says David, who again is speaking truths here. Billy gets home to find that Todd has retracted Billy's resignation and, along with his thousand pounds, has arranged a loan with George to pay for the pump and finish that house. He'd much rather spend his grand on this than some fancy honeymoon, he says. Yes. Some fancy $1,000 pound mm-hmm. honeymoon. Honeymoon. Sure. Long weekend in Blackpool. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that this week. It feels like we're definitely... Um, building towards something here. Right, something that should have happened already. Oh, yeah, definitely. This, it, the, the way they're milking this for all it's worth is just torture. But I feel because we're getting close to the payoff for this, I, I feel like I'm forgiving it. You can muck me about by stretching this out far too long if you like, just so long as I can see where the end's coming. Mm, yeah, see, I'm kind of the opposite. It's like, all right... You know, you've you've shown us the way. Now just get to it, please, because this Don't is bore taking. Us. Get to the chorus. Yes, this is taking forever, and it's it's torture. Just get on with it, mm-hmm. which Billy, is what I say to you every night. Billy, Billy should never have been archdeacon. This is true, and yet Todd somehow talks the. the can can bishop, you do that? Can you withdraw a resignation on someone else's behalf? No, you can't. And Todd shouldn't even be trying to do that. Billy said that he would hand in his right. resignation tomorrow. Yeah. All he needed to do was not do that. Yeah. But read the room. Todd. The, the, the bishop accepted it. Yeah. <laughs> the you're, bishop you're did not. You're not wanted. Yeah, the bishop did not say, no, 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 these things happen. You're, you're fine. I it's okay. totally team bishop here. This yeah. project has been mismanaged from the start. Yeah. Superb. Yes. And Billy's, oh, have you lost weight, Bishop? You're looking fucking great. And the Bishop's having none of it. Right. Get to the point. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> says the Bishop. Says the Bishop. No, because, because technically that's the only sex allowed. <laughs> Our next storyline this morning is Nick's poster child. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Well done. Well, thank you. Thank you for pointing it out. <laughs> on Monday, Natasha drops in to see Nick and Leanne. She's fucking off to that London for a week and wants to offload Sam onto them for the duration. Sam, and to a lesser extent Leanne, are thrilled by the prospect. This is Sam's last week of homeschooling. Yes. So Sam arrives at the flat and is very insistent that we talk about posters today. He has posters. He wants to put his posters up in Oliver's room. Nick isn't sure about the posters. Sam is very sure about the posters. So Nick caves. Then Leanne comes home. So like Sam, a bad seed. So, Nick caves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leanne's home, so Sam starts on about his fucking posters to Leanne, ignoring Nick's pleas to shut the fuck up out of the posters. Leanne pretends to be interested in the posters and goes to have a look, and when she comes back, she decides to have a shower. 
No, I think it's just she just got home. She re- she was on her way to the shower anyway. Let's be honest, but but Sam insisted she had to see the posters first. So she went quickly saw the posters and like right, I'm getting in the shower, which was where I wanted to be anyway. Sam worries that Leanne didn't like the posters. It's fine, says Nick, and then he goes to take down the posters. After Leanne's shower, Sam apologizes for upsetting her with the posters. We took them down, insists Nick. We took what down, says Leanne. The posters, says Nick. Well, go put them back up, she says. It's your room, your family. So Sam goes off to put up his fucking posters again. Yes. Posters put back up again. Nick and Leanne chat about it privately. Nick worried that she would think that all of her room was being invaded. And she points out that it's not the decor of the room that she misses. It's Oliver that she misses. And then we all misremember Oliver's joie de vivre for a bit. On Wednesday, Nick is preparing some indoor activities for him and Sam. Leanne is confused because it's a lovely day outside and he was supposed to be playing with these cousins. Right, in the park. Mm -hmm. Nick isn't sure but concedes to taking Sam to the park himself. Back from the park, Sam has grazed his knee. The one thing, the one thing that Natasha warned him about, if he so much as scratches his knee, he's fine about it but Nick is frantic, trying to find a first aid kit and toys with the idea of getting Dr Gadas involved. Later, Nick and Leanne are arguing about whether Sam should be taken to a specialist in knee scrapes <laughs> and he sneaks onto the balcony with his headphones on and iPad to do something that I can totally relate to. Yes, he's tracking. He's plane spotting. Yeah, which is I something have, you like to do. I never pay for apps. <laughs> except this one time that I spent five bucks on this app that if you point, if you switch your the app on in your camera and you point it to a plane that's flying overhead... It tells you the plane's tail number, mm-hmm. where it came from, where it's going, right. where its speed is, mm-hmm. where its altitude is, mm-hmm. which I find just strangely interesting. A lot mm-hmm. of the planes that fly overhead here are going from coast to coast. Yes, yes. That's why they call us flyover country. Right. So, uh, yeah, you'd think that some of them would be going to like Detroit. Or Chicago. Right. You'd think. Most of them are going to San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York right. and stuff. There's also an app uh, that allows you... Oh, no, this first one, there's a pilot's view button that changes to Google Maps and lets you see what the pilot could see, kind of, out of the window, which is fascinating as well. Then there's another app that lets you hear (laughs) the air traffic control. So if you you synchronise them, you can see what the pilot's seeing and you can hear what the pilot's hearing from the air traffic control as this plane comes into land at Lansing. I'm really enthusiastic, genuinely talking about this. Helen's fallen asleep. No, Wake I'm up. just I'm just thinking about how all this stuff could be used by a terrorist at some point. Well, couldn't everything? Watch with friends, I'm sure, could be used by terrorists. It's true. To send uh, coded messages to each other. True. I don't know what it says about me that my first thought is terrorism, but... It is what it is. Leanne goes out and Nick shouts on Sam but can't find him in the flat and not checking the balcony. No. Grabs his coat and runs out shouting for Sam but he's got his headphones on so obviously can't he hear. can't hear him. Leanne finds Nick in the street. He's ready to call the police but she advises Carmen for them to have a look for Sam first. He's wee. He won't have gotten far. Not, re- not, remembering, not remembering that this is Sam we're talking about. He has form for this. Soon after Leanne calls, him, uh, calls Nick to let him know that Sam's been found. He was on the balcony, you absolute melt. (laughs) 
at home, Sam explains that he was listening to his flight tracker and he tells Nick that he seems to be stressed about Oliver. Nick pretends that he's not stressed by sounding like the most stressed person in the world. Leanne gets it and thinks it's making Nick smother Sam, not literally. Oliver's death is is playing on Nick to make him mollycoddle Sam more right. than he would normally for fear for something like when this it's really him. because of natasha isn't it and well, his, that's why i thought his, the whole scraped knee thing right yeah it's it's because he's he's afraid that natasha's going to take him away but we've decided that's not what it is or it, maybe it's that's the remnants of all of part it. of it and that's why it bothers him so much because you know nick keeps saying you know he's this is his first opportunity to be a dad and sam rightly points out no you've kind of been a dad already mm-hmm to Oliver and also Simon, who is mentioned but never seen <laughs> this right. week. Yeah. Sam says Steve was Oliver's father, but Nick was his dad. Leanne agrees and misremembers more stuff about Oliver. And then Natasha calls Sam and he goes off to grass Nick up to <laughs> And Leanne keeps a worried eye on Nick. On Friday, Leanne and Nick are finding the flat quieter now that Sam is spending more time with Peter and Sam is away annoying Natasha about something. Leanne gets a text from Toya inviting her out and Nick encourages her to go while he can look at porn on his laptop. <laughs> no, he's going to watch Fast and the Furious 8 again, hmm. apparently. I still haven't started watching them. <laughs> Good. At, at Toya's, she's telling Leanne about the Kelly the Chin storyline when Leanne gets a text telling her that there's a taxi waiting for her outside to whisk her away to a brand new storyline that will run until winter. But no, the taxi takes her to Ray Weinstein's creepy hotel where Nick has secured a room for the night. He suggests taking the summer off with her. Oh, I thought you'd never fucking ask, says Leanne. And that's the end of that story. So so those two actors are finally going to get a break. Well, I'm not getting my hopes up. I enjoy Leanne. I enjoy Nick. I enjoy Jane Danson and Ben Price enormously. They need a break. They really do. The characters need to go away and, although I and think, decompress a bit. Although I think Ben just went camping with his family or something. I think it was Ben who was talking about camping this week on Sofa Cinema Club, where they all loved E.T. Because, of course, they did. Yeah. Because it's E.T. Yeah. Again, though, this is movies that we haven't watched as the whole point of the Sofa well, Cinema I think Club. It's, I think it's movies that Coulson hasn't but watched. But he, even he'd seen that. <laughs> Oh. I think this was an audience pick as well. It was. Yeah. So it's so, not yeah. their fault. But it does sound like they're finally getting their break. Yes. Over one overarching storyline that I think contains four sub storylines. Right. Yes. They're, they're finally going please, to get Please, oh. please give Ben and Jane a break. <laughs> please. Yeah. This was, again, Freedom this was for still, Jane and Ben. <laughs> This was still, We're going to make signs. This was still a fun storyline. The, the yes. Sam aspect of it made it right. kind of fun. Mm-hmm. They need to be careful, though, because they're falling into a little bit of a trap of every week Sam is obsessing about something. Right. Because it was, remember, Truffle Trees? Mm-hmm. So he was obsessed about that well, for he's an a, episode. He's, he's an obsessed kid. He does this. <laughs> it's becoming a little tired, though. That's well, all I'm saying. I'm but, still enjoying it, but it's becoming a little tired. It's 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 proving our point when Sam was first introduced and we called him the British young Sheldon. Mm-hmm. Because this is exactly what Sheldon does as a child and an adult where he gets like obsessed about a number of different things. It's not just Star Trek, it's Star Trek and flags. Right. 
and comic books Mm -hmm. and his job as a as a theoretical physicist good save and string theory he's really into string theory he likes his string theory yeah i'm waiting for sam to get into string theory all right our next line this morning is promoting the baileys on wednesday finally is offering an interview for a promotion at work Grace is using language that suggests that she and Michael are an item, that's my man, etc. But she later admits to Danny that this is co-parenting and it's as far as it goes. Michael gets home and announces that he didn't get the job. No, Toya got Toya it. Toya got the job. Ha ha. <laughs> ha. Fucking ha. Although Grace does rightly point out that Toya is overqualified because she's a trained therapist. Yeah, but we're not looking for a trained therapist at the factory. We're looking for a, a senior sales advisor. Right. Still. <laughs> She's worried that uh, her plans for dinner with James and Danny might not be the best idea now, but Michael is dead keen for a beer and to forget about this awful day. You didn't mention the fact that Danny invited them to go out to dinner with them. so. Which brings us to this week's Hard Debate. <laughs> Toy won the promotion at the Knicker Factory because reasons. But who would you prefer to deal with if you were in the market for a brand new pair of underpants? Would it be Toya? Would it be Michael? Would it be Alina? Or would it be Kirk? I voted Michael in this poll because nobody had voted Michael and I felt bad. (laughs) It was looking quite close for Kirk (laughs) at early points of the poll. But finally, Toya did pull out. And I like that. With 41.5%. So not a majority Michael and Kirk, 24.5%. Poor Alina, 9.4%. What is she doing at that factory? This this whole Tyrone thing, I think, has unfortunately really soiled the audience's perception of Alina, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate because she's really the only immigrant on the show. Yeah. She's the only one with a funny accent on the show. So that makes it rather unfortunate that they make her the, the the bad guy, the insufferable person. Yeah, we'll get to that, but they are doing their damnedest to make... People hate her. <laughs> and they're doing quite a bit to make people hate Tyrone this week as well. Well, that's okay. It's okay to hate Tyrone. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. Toya's promotion did strike me as being kind of odd, though. Because she's never there. It's unclear what she actually Nobody does. Nobody is ever there. <laughs> Nobody is ever there. Nobody is in that factory. I don't know how they... And, and they can't. Now that, you know, restrictions are lifted, although they may be put back because of the Delta variant, I was hoping that maybe we'll get to a point where we have more people in the factory in scenes. But, hmm. I mean, the only people we really see in the factory this week are Sarah. And Laura, Laura the Chin. Laura the Chin. Who, who doesn't clean. No. Or who pretends to clean. Or a feather duster. And a, and a reporter. But if you were to say... Who is apparently the only reporter <laughs> for that paper now. Poor Daniel. Well, Daniel already... Well, no, Daniel didn't... Well, Daniel would not write an article for Laura the Chin, let's be honest. No, so we're. You're right, but I think it, you 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 would say that Michael is a salesman, right? Because 
he's been. He does have an experience beyond he has the a factory. Of it, right? That's how he was introduced as being the kind of then again, Dell boy. Then again, Toya has some experience in in sales. She did work. She did work for Roy at one point. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly back the in the same. day. She wasn't really hustling, although she did hustle some Eccles cakes. Yes, this week. Yeah, fair enough. I thought it was funny though that. She's getting this promotion mm-hmm. because reasons. Yeah. And Georgia Taylor replied with a kind of shrug. Yeah. Like, like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so in the beast road, James announces that a big gay magazine won an interview with him, which Michael thinks is brilliant. Uh, yeah. And it's not a big gay. It's big, comma, right. gay magazine. On the side, Grace suggests to Michael that they go for a drink. But Michael's already invited everyone to the Rovers. All right, says Grace. And she looks like her nose has been put out of a joint a little bit. On Friday, Michael has a hangover from the previous night, thanks to Grace planning with booze. Everyone else seems fine, though. Grace is still looking loved up, which Michael, of course, doesn't notice, and he quietly dies on the couch. James is still getting pestered about the interview, and Danny thinks that he's a role model now and he should definitely just go over himself and do the smegging interview. James just wants to play football. He doesn't want to be no role model, but it's far too late for that. And, I mean, honestly... All athletes at some point, especially when they become role models, say... They don't want to, you know, they don't want to be role models. Michael Jordan said that. So, you know, if Michael Jordan says, I don't want to be a role model, I just want to play basketball. Yeah. Then, of course, James doesn't want to be a role model. doesn't just want to play basketball, does he? Kind of quite interested in earning millions and millions of dollars out of Nike. Well, who doesn't? And also, briefly play baseball. <laughs> Not very well. At <laughs> Roy's rolls, Grayson <laughs> still... A bit a million times better than I could play. <laughs> it always rolls. Grace and Michael are arguing about nurseries for glory. Kirk is there and had similar issues finding a suitable doggy day- daycare for Peanut. Mm-hmm. Kirk spots the chemistry between the two of them. Michael is still blissfully unaware. Right, yeah. See, so this is where using Kirk's naivety works because it's not him being... It's not him necessarily being point-blank dumb. It's him... You know, trying to relate to other characters in a way that they find amusing because he's sort of equating his dog with their child, mm-hmm. which happens all the time in the real world. So oh. I don't find it that funny. People definitely think yes. that they're mums and dads to their pets. Yes, which fine. When they're not, they're owners. Right. Well, if you, if you want to call yourself a pet parent instead of a pet owner, that's that's fine. That's fine. I will roll my eyes, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm not going to send you to jail for it. It's fine. But it's a way, you know, but this, this use of Kirk is, I think, so much better than just the hit you over the head with how dumb Kirk is mm-hmm. over and over again in the other storyline. So back at the factory, Kirk has a word with Michael about Grace fancying the utter knackers off of him. And Michael is dumbfounded by it. Right. He's like, what are you talking about? That's not true. We're just co-parents. She so- doesn't like me. So later, Michael and James head off to the pub telling Grace that James has some man problems that he wants to chat about, which I felt was kind of setting a um, misunderstanding up for the future. Right, yeah, especially since Grace and Danny seem to have really hit it off and talk a lot. Since they all seem to be living in that house now. All of them. That's a very full house. (laughs) At the Rovers, Michael explains Kirk's theory to James. Oh, you didn't know, says James. It's been obvious for months. Yeah, seriously. Michael reveals that after all that shit last year, he doesn't think that they can be any more than mates. Well, you fair need to point. tell her, says James. Which is absolutely a fair point. And that's as far as we get with that this week. 
Yeah, how many people are living in that house? You've got Ed, Ed and Aggie. And Aggie's home, right? Yes, we got Ed and Aggie. We don't see her, but she's babysitting, so she must be there. Ed and Aggie, James and Danny, Grace and Michael, and, the and baby. Glory. So that's seven people. That's all right. Eh. It used to be just Emily that lived there. It's not, it's not, it's not the fullest house. It's still full. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing this again, though. We're kind of pushing the... We're, we're keeping the Baileys in their own little bubble of storyline. Well, and, and, and at least... And we're not having a James storyline. And we're not having a Michael storyline. We're having a Baileys storyline. Right. At least we got Kirk involved a little bit. Yeah. You know, which makes sense because they are co-workers. But again, yeah, you're right. It's It's rather frustrating that the person who is Bailey's adjacent, who's getting the most interaction with people who's not a Bailey, is Danny, mm-hmm. which is why I call him the new Ronnie. Right. You know, because no, this I, is I exactly, mm-hmm. exactly what Ronnie was. It's like, we're going to introduce this other character, and he, he and he's going to be the one who's going to be the conduit between the Baileys and everyone else, instead of the Baileys interacting. And then when they do, it, it genuinely turns out negative, like Paul and Ed. You know, I was rather disappointed mm-hmm. that Paul and Ed had that falling out and that Paul no longer works for Ed. Because the two of them were um, were pretty great fun together. Yeah. And Ed was being a kind of father figure to, right. to Paul. And, it was working out rather well. And lending advice and all that sort of and stuff. And also, you know, poor Ed, he just lost Seb to yeah. death. So, yeah, death, he has not nobody. Dave hasn't death. stolen Seb. Yes. death. Right. Ah. Moving on then. Our penultimate storyline this morning is Laura cleaning up mm. on Wednesday. Laura the Chin is back to find how Kelly the Chin is getting on. She meets up with Imran in the Rovers and it sounds like she's needing a job. So when Carla comes in, Imran offers her services as the new Gale, Freddie Flintstone Tabard, not provided. So Carla and Laura the Chin come into the factory and Sean gives Laura... And this is this is how people get... Get jobs. Get jobs. The lawyer suggests... Yes. Hey, this person needs a job. Sure. You're hired. No questions asked. It doesn't even seem like she even knows who she is. No references. No. She says, sure, you're hired without even asking her her name. Because <laughs> later on, she's shocked that she's Kelly the Chin's right. mother. She's getting the two of well. Sarah explains that Laura tried to get Adam's cock in her and plus she's Kelly the Chin's mum and Carla said oh my god I didn't know any of this stuff All when I hired tits, her right it's Speedal Toya and Imran are picking up a takeaway to celebrate her promotion she's looking forward to this feet up bra off dinner, right. dinner on the lap thing yeah so Imran gets a call from Kelly the Chin to let her know that Laura is going to visit her and Toya is not happy about this in the prison, Laura isn't exactly the model visitor. She's no. just talking about herself and her travel expenses that she thinks that she can reclaim. And Kelly doesn't get much of a chance to talk about the flashbacks she says that she's been having about the attack right. before visiting is called over. Right. Yeah, she tries to talk about her, her, her feelings and, and her concerns and stuff. And Kelly the chin's like, no, 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 I don't want to hear about that. No, if anything, she wants to know facts. She wants to know what she can remember happening. Right. And you're kind of wonder why she's making the the distinction in that, and we're about to find out. Yeah. Well, we kind of knew already because when Sean, you know, was talking about Fizz's article, oh, yeah. that's when she starts to suck a thoughtful tooth about, oh, maybe I can make some money out of my daughter being in prison. Right. 
Because she's just such a loathsome human being. <laughs> she really is. On Friday, Laura the Chin is the worst cleaner ever. She's at work on the phone, arranging to meet Chris the reporter later. Sarah asks her to check out the smell in the stockroom, which she can only be partially certain isn't coming from Kirk. And later, Chris, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to speak with Laura the Chin, who immediately starts revising what kind of mother she was before Chris can get a word out. Mm-hmm. You no, know, she's like super caring and right, yeah. this thing's tearing the family apart and blah, blah, right, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So Laura the Chin has told her story and is more interested in how much it's worth and she insists that Kelly the Chin knows that she's talking to the press. Right. We've barely scratched the surface, says Laura, and they arrange to continue this interview tomorrow. And that's as far as we get with that. Mm-hmm. She is awful, but I kind of, I kind of like Laura the Chin as a character because she's just terrible. Well, but this I, is why I like Daisy because she's terrible, right? But I think I think I'm clearer on why Laura's like this because she married Rick the Chin. Right, so she had to have been awful to begin with, and she's yeah, and she must have known what Rick was, was like. like, yeah, and was quite happy to live that life, and it's kind of brought Kelly up, kind of similarly. Really, Kelly isn't Kelly hasn't Kelly fallen far from the tree, but yeah, she is better. But she's better than she, she has, was, but she has her moments, right? As she's displayed a number of times, right? Yes, yeah. Hmm. I wonder what's going to come out of this with the. With a claim that that Kelly knows about this. Right. Because when Kelly finds out... She's not going to be happy. And also, this is kind of meddling in an ongoing police investigation, which is frowned upon. Right. Yeah, there's a... Oh, it's you. It's in your back eyebrows. <laughs> my, my, my back eye, eyebrow. <laughs> Remember, it's fewer than what I've got in the front, which is two, so it has right. to be one. Well, no, there's there's two. They're just smaller. Well, that's not fewer. And less bushy. So, I've completely <laughs> forgotten what I was going to say now. It was something about Kelly. Yeah. But I had the idea that Chris, for a journalist, has some kind of integrity. Right. But I think this is why we are using Chris again, because she doesn't know Laura. Daniel would know Laura. Hmm. Well, even he probably wouldn't know her that well. He would know her well enough because she tried to she tried to seduce Adam. So he'd know well enough. Yeah. Because Daniel knew about that. Right. Everybody knew about that. Whereas but, uh, but I'm Chris honestly, is like a new character. But I'm a little excited that Chris could be a an ongoing character here. Hmm. That you As, have the proper. As journalist. The, as the only journalist working for the Wethy Gazette these days. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of interesting. Hmm. That what does it say about journalism in, in, in Weatherfield? Well, print journalism's dead, really, isn't it? <sighs> Let's move on to our final storyline this morning, which is Fizzbomb 84. Mm-hmm. On Monday, Tyrone is writing his response piece <laughs> to Fizz, which Kev thinks is an awful idea. Alina Lowe thinks it's a great idea and wants to make sure it's unnecessarily hurtful as well. Fizz is having lunch with reporter Chris and Fizz explains that everyone she knows now knows that she was the woman in the article. Chris is keen to do a follow-up but Fizz is happy to draw a veil over the whole experience now that she has a date. Right. She's like, there's really not much to tell. Right. Later in Roy's roles, Tyrone reads out his article to Kev and it's a very bitter piece that begins to get laid into Fizz. And it's also not very well written. No, until Kev stops him. That's plenty. He seems like he's six years old. Right. Fizz's article was a tiny victory for her. 
don't begrudge her that. Right, yeah. And they mentioned it gave her a little bit of control over right. something that happened to her that she had no control over. Right, which is what we mentioned in the moment of the week thing from, yes. from last week. On Wednesday, Fizz is getting ready for her date with Phil. And it's not Phil the Prick. No. We're using the name Phil again uh, fairly early doors because Phil the teacher is still... No, that was ages ago. That was ages ago. When I, I, I didn't even think about that at all. Mm. And it happened to Brian. It's fine. <laughs> he vomited. He vomited on the governors, lest you forget. <laughs> yeah, but that was like two, two years ago. That was singly the worst moment of Coronation Street. I think <laughs> since we've been doing this podcast, I absolutely hated that. It's it's good that they they had they didn't make vomit humor a thing. Right. <laughs> the one trope that after once they were like, yeah, right. that's that's enough. So Evelyn thinks that getting over someone is best dealt with by getting under someone. And then Fizz gets a text from Chris warning her that Tyrone is trying to tout his story in response to hers. Right, and and the way they get that's like, no thank you. No. no thank you, sir. Tank Ever and Roy Rose having a cuppa. Fizz comes in and she and Ty start arguing about his article and write to reply. Fizz pleads with him about how airing their dirty laundry is upsetting everyone and the kids, so Tyrone says that he'll withdraw it. He's no Tony Wordsmith after all. Right. Plus, they weren't going to publish it anyway. Now to Fizz goes, Kev wishes him luck telling this to Alina, because Alina was very keen for this article to be written. Yes, she was. A little too keen. At home, Ty is sweetening up Alina with a kebab when he tells her that he's no longer writing his newspaper newspaper article because Fizz is a bit sensitive about it and Alina does not take this well. If he loves her, he should write it. Fuck you and fuck your kebab, she says. Right. And she goes on here and at other places about how she's tired of people looking at her in a certain way and laughing behind their hands. And it's like, sweetheart, they were doing that well before this article was written. Everybody knew already it may have just now finally hit you that you guys are the baddies right. in this story. But, but nobody, was, nobody else was under right. the impression that you weren't. Right. And everybody kept trying to tell you this. In the pub, Ty wants Evelyn to have a drink with him and Alina, but she knocks him back using babysitting for Fizz as an excuse. And Ty is rubbed the wrong way by this and wants more details until Evelyn tells him it's none of his fucking beeswax, who Fizz is with and where she's going. Fizz and Phil, that's difficult. Are at speed dial. Fizzy's chat is appalling, talking about the difference between dinner tea and supper, but Phil's isn't much better, as he points out how he doesn't like spicy food or Joanna Lumley. Jasmine <laughs> arches an eyebrow as she tries to get the order out of them. <laughs> and then Fizz and Phil have a laugh as Tyrone comes in asking for a staff curry with extra chilli, which they were kind of chatting and laughing about earlier, because Phil doesn't like anything too spicy. Right, and he's mad enough to, you know, to admit it, unlike these guys who, you know, Try to show the length of their penis by by ordering the most spicy thing they can. Right. You know, it's like having a big, massive pickup truck or something mm-hmm. with with artificial balls hanging off the back, yeah, which no. is a thing here in the United States. Truck nuts. Truck nuts. They even have a name. Yeah, the brand. Jeez. <laughs> oh, On Friday, Hope overhears Fizz and Evelyn chatting about Phil, who has asked Fizz out again tonight. Yeah. Fizz is about to ask Evelyn to babysit, but Hope wants to stay with Daddy, and Evelyn doesn't want to fucking babysit I want anyway. Daddy. Hope's I grown up. Daddy. Hope's grown Hope's up into Tyrone's notice, old t shirts. Right. She's noticeably older now. Because Hope and, and Ruby, you knew that Hope was the older of the two, 
But now Hope feels like she's got over like a certain age. And I don't know, she's just she's a different wee lassie to how she was like a year ago, mm-hmm. obviously. Ruby's they both still are. Ruby. No, Ruby's grown up a wee bit too. Mm. Tyrone has dropped in to pick up the girls and it turns out that he has dinner plans too. So he and Fizz argue childishly about the process to let the other one know about the other's dinner dates until Ty has to incur the wrath of Evelyn by asking her to babysit and she's already made it clear that she's not interested in doing so. Right, and Hope has already made clear that she right. doesn't want Evelyn to babysit. Right. Ty has taken Hope and Ruby to Roy's roles. Hope is so pissed at having to spend more time with her gran that she winds Tyrone up, saying that Fizz and Phil are planning on marriage and she's looking forward to having two dads and she tells him about Fizz's date at the bistro tonight. Did you know about that? Did you even know about that? Right. Tyrone says that he did. Yeah, he knew she was going out, but it's Hope that drops in where they're going. Mm-hmm. So it's Hope's fault what happens next. Yeah, and I think it's deliberate. Right, yeah, because the whole... I quite like the idea of having two daddies. Right really kind of shocks Tyrone. Tyrone, who has given her a new mummy, mm-hmm. which, <laughs> you know, the the way that, that all of this stuff is, once the shoe was on the other foot, Tyrone's like realizing things. It's like, he's not very bright, is he? Right. <laughs> so Ty and Alina are ready to go out. Well, initially they were supposed to be going out to town, but now he wants to stay close to home. Yeah, so that they can get yeah, their hole later. I've got that later. That's his excuse. Yeah, he doesn't fancy going out of town anymore. So Lena decides on speed dial and Ty looks like he's trying to work around to the bistro instead. Mm-hmm. Fizz and Phil, that's awful to say, are at their table at the bistro when Ty and Alina come in. They're about to leave for speed dial after all until Fizz tells them not to bother. Just stay. Don't leave on our well, account. Well, Alina is on her way to saying let's just go to speed doll after all but mm-hmm. tyrone knew that they were going to be there that's yeah. the whole reason why he wants to He's be quite there happy so this, yeah. He, yeah so as they're ordering tyrone gets totally wound up by fizz laughing she does laugh a lot but right but she's laughing at she's allowed to yeah like, she's allowed to have a good time and it seems like she and phil are really clicking and have kind of the same sense of humor so right. it makes sense his dad jokes are landing right yes alina kicks ty under the table and orders him to swap places so that his back is to them and that's just a redneck as well, having to do that, having to swap round mm-hmm. the table. How embarrassing. Alina's talking about how much she likes starters and bread, but Tyrone's attention still remains behind him. And he's loudly shouting about ordering champagne, and Debbie comes out of the office and looks at the two tables and mutters, how weird, under her breath. Again, <laughs> classic Debbie. Tyrone is getting increasingly drunk and starts mimicking Fizzy's laughter. Alina develops a headache and goes home. Fizz asks after her, but Tyrone gets aggressive with Phil and with Fizz and comes across all what what you looking at kind of thing mm-hmm. and doesn't appreciate being called mate by Phil. So Ty goes to leave and he's now very drunk. When, when uh, Curtis informs him that his cart has been declined, Fizz and Phil try to chat, but Tyrone is loudly arguing with Curtis and insisting that everything is fine. Fizz nips off for a shite, and Phil tries to make peace by paying for Tyrone's meal. What on earth is he thinking about? That's just the worst thing that he could possibly do. Well, Stay out of this. This is none of your fucking business, he's, Phil. He's a nice guy. He's just trying to be nice. Because th- what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Cause well, what happens is the only thing that could happen. Right. Ty's not going to be happy about this. Right, but Ty's not gonna, Ty wasn't able to pay. Ty has no money. Then Ty needs to deal with that himself with the bistro. It's none of Phil's business. Tyrone becomes furious at Phil acting the big man and takes a swing at Phil, misses, and sends Phil in at a table where some glasses and I thought 
I thought he had a cut, cut, but, but he didn't. didn't. Come anything from it. And all this happens just as Fizz comes out from the bathroom. Tyrone! Oddly, though, they all spill out onto the street together when Weatherfield's finest comes along and Alina watches drunken Ty arguing with PC Tinker and generally making a total arse of himself. Right, yeah, because he seems to think that... He, that Phil's called the police. Right, when Craig is very clearly in his civvies. Yeah, it's not uniform. No. Says that he's at the end of his shift. Yeah. And tells Ty, just go home, mate. Yeah, go home and sleep it off, pal. Back home, Fizz wouldn't blame Phil if he ran a mile. Phil's gone this far, so he might as well hang around for his hole now. Fizz is agreeable, but not there with the kids upstairs and even noisily moving In the about. bathroom. Right. Next time, my place, says Phil. And Ty staggers home. Alina, who is seldom happy these days, isn't happy. She saw the aftermath on the street and Ty admits to taking a swing at, at Phil. And Alina wonders why he's so jealous. He refused to write the stupid article. He swings at Fizz's new boyfriend. He's pining after his old life. She tells him to sleep on the couch and tomorrow he either forgets about Fizz or forgets about her. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. I quite like that ending. Yes. And I, I'm really liking Tyrone's comeuppance and all of this. Where he, he had- has clearly not thought through the fact that, you know, Fizz is also getting going to get on with her life and find somebody else. He had the gall to say to Phil, you took my family away from me. I said, like, what? Yeah. She's she's gone out with dinner with him twice. Once in a bit, because they, they didn't get through their second dinner right. because of him. Right. So they've been out a couple of times. Right. And he's accusing Phil of stealing the family away. Right. What the fuck is he talking about? He's drunk. He's they've, they've given him champagne. Mm-hmm. And champagne kind of goes to. Right. If you don't. If you're not used and to he it, drank goes to your that whole quickly. bottle by himself because Alina rightly points out the fact she's that she's pregnant. pregnant. But. So, but you say when you're drunk, sometimes things that you you mean. Right. And he's clearly feeling that he's losing out here. That, right. That he's lost his family. Be- he but, wants, he, but he doesn't equate this with his actions. He wants his ca- he wants to have his cake and eat it too. Oh. You if know. only there was a phrase that matched that. <laughs> he, you know, he... He wants to have his fun with Alina, but he also wants to be able to just knock on Fizz's door whenever he wants and chat with her too. That's right. He, you know. he wants his fun with Alina and he wants to make sure that Fizz has nothing. But him. Right. Yeah. And he, he's, he, he, he's... I don't think he necessarily even realized that that's what he wanted himself because he seems to not fully it has it doesn't seem to have really fully hit him that this is what's going on you know and yes tyrone's not the brightest bulb in the batch but even he you'd think would be like wait a second there's an element here where i think that especially recently in the last few weeks Mm. where they've been kind of getting on a little better and it's kind of been hinted at that he's questioning his actions here right I think there's part of Tyrone that thinks if this all goes tits up with Alina, right. at least I'll be able to get back with Fizz. Right. Fizz and is now his safety net here. Right. But Fizz has done the unthinkable. Right. She's moved, moved on with on, her life. Right? <laughs> She's written that article which makes it clear what she thinks. Right. And and what this situation was from her viewpoint, which he didn't really realise. No. And she's moved on. Yes. That safety net isn't there anymore. Exactly. And it 
absolutely tears them apart. Right. Yeah. Well, we said, we said, you know, the other week that if it hadn't been for Alina turning up pregnant, they seemed to kind of be on the outs and realizing that they're from two different generations and they really don't have much to talk about. They just have sex. Their chat at dinner was how much do they like starters? Well, that's Alina's chat. Well, it's brought up by Ty because he's, I'm definitely having a starter because I like a uh-huh. starter. So that they talk about starters, but then they continue to talk about starters. And she continues to talk about it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And then starts talking about bread. Mm-hmm. And he must be sitting there thinking, why the fuck are we talking about bread and starters for like 15 minutes? No, he's thinking about what's happening behind his back, to be honest. Mm. And you know what? I like Phil. Yeah, he's good. We, isn't he? we, we haven't we haven't had much of him, but I like him. I, I didn't like him getting involved in that bill thing. Right, but I can understand it. You know that he just he doesn't want Ty to be embarrassed. He wants to just Ty is already embarrassed. Right, Ty is already making a fool of himself. Right, he but I, it feels like Phil is is like right. I'll just take care of this, and then it'll be over. He'll realize I'm I'm not a bad guy. I'm a nice guy, and that. Oh, see, that's a flag. Phil needs to be seen to be the nice guy. What's that hmm. covering up? A cumin uh, allergy, that's what that's covering up. <laughs> that's his big secret. That's that's why he doesn't like spicy food. Exactly. That's why I said that. <laughs> yeah, I like... I, and, and he seems... That there seems to be really good chemistry between him and Fizz. So... I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this, and I like him, and it's a good actor, and yeah, he's seem, funny. Yeah, he's, he's, he's funny when get... he's trying to be funny and isn't funny. Right. Yeah. That, that's kind of funny. Yeah. And it's, it's I like the dad warming. jokes and everything. You know, it's it's right, it's right at the speed that Fizz needs. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I think they're they're perfect together, and I want it to continue. This is a week where we didn't really have. There's no there's no gangsters involved. I don't think nobody no, had a shooter, nice. right? Yeah, it's quite good when that doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. When you have these kind of, you, you can be forgiven for thinking this is another nothing burger week. Because mm-hmm. nothing actually, big happened, but the things that did happen were pretty entertaining. Were, for the large part, amusing. Right, they were entertaining. We laughed a lot. There were things that happened that were that were good that kind of furthered some character development mm-hmm. on people talked to one another and it was good and it was fun. Yeah. The we we reintroduced Laura the Chin and that's going to have right. consequences later on. Right, we feel and it was good it was good the way that they set up set it up. Yeah, because we've got Kev talking to Abby about things. Right. Laura the Chin coming back into it. Kelly the Chin coming back into it. Mm-hmm. It feels like we might get somewhere with this uh, this court case right. sooner rather than later as well. Yes. Which needs to happen, let's face it. Yes. So that was the week that was Coronation Street then. What was your pray tell? We were kind of teasing each other with this last uh-huh. night because you were very clearly had an idea your moment of the week yes. and I said well my moment of the week didn't happen tonight. And you were like oh, because it sounded like your moment of the week did happen on Friday. Yeah. Mine happened on Wednesday. So what was your moment of the week? Dev's Kiwi. 
It just the way the way that the Kiwi is introduced with with Dev Dev and Addy tilting their head kind of with some synchronicity, mm-hmm. you know, where yes, these two are related, you know, and they're just and and it builds and all of the Kiwi stuff is funny, but that 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 moment where it's introduced where Addy is initially just like ah oh, Dad, I don't want to see that. No, no, it's just a particularly hairy Kiwi. And just him saying particularly hairy kiwi. Three times. That's a, that's a rule of three. It was funny every single one of those three times. It was. So and that's, that, that is the name of this episode. Because it had to be. Right. Of course it was. And I, I know this doesn't happen, but I like to think that the writers sometimes get together and see who can come up with the phrase that's going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> I know that doesn't happen. But if it did happen, whoever wrote particularly hairy kiwi must have been sure. They'd have mm-hmm. an extra 10 quid on that. Yes. My moment of the week was Emma talking to Curtis on the cab radio. See? The teabag metaphor. <laughs> but not like but that. But not like that. See, it, that didn't touch me the, way, the same way that it, it touched you, I don't think. It was the end of any 80s movie. Right. And that's, that's, that's why I loved it. Yeah. See, I didn't. I've had my pick the last couple of weeks. I'm happy, and I, I, I don't disagree. That was a fantastic. And we haven't given it, we haven't given it to the Alhans in a while. Yeah, last week it was. Uh, it, it was, was fizz. fizz. Saying fuck y'all. Yeah. Okay, so let's say then that Dev's testicle is our moment of the week. It's just a particularly hairy kiwi. Right, Gav. In my mind, it's always a testicle. <laughs> what was your boring moment of the week? I'll have to have a think about that because like I said you know it was a good week yeah it was a good week and there wasn't really anything that particularly went awry I think we've talked about it I think yeah Brian explaining American Gothic to Chesney and 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 Kirk you know and the whole the whole bit the whole Chesney and Kirk bit which was meant to be funny and was really the least funny of the things that were meant to be funny this week yeah because it's just Kirk, Kirk being dumb and Chesney being having something a rod stuck up his ass. <laughs> these like, are these are these are character traits of these two characters that I could do with less mm-hmm. being a thing. I do not disagree. Let's give it to Kirk and Chesney then. Being too much Kirk and Chesney. Yes, that's our boring moment of the week. Yes. Now next week we haven't fully decided what we're going to do next week because next week is your birthday yes so we'll be going away somewhere secret <laughs> uh thursday friday gav is going to take me to a cabin in the woods and murder me <laughs> well we'll see <laughs> we'll see how that plans how that works out but yeah so what my plan is is that we record on wednesday just for monday and wednesday next week mm-hmm. and then we'll catch up with friday the following week right because where we're going i don't think we're going to have Strong enough Wi-Fi. Strong enough Wi-Fi to, to deal with uploading podcasts. And stuff. So, But we will see. Shall we wrap this one up, though? Yes, please. All right, mate. Mate. Oi. Hey, mate. You all right, Oi. mate? Are you, mate? Are you all right, mate? Mate. You all right, mate? Hey. Going to give us 50p from a bus fare, mate? Oh, cheers, mate. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast. On, so you don't get this on any other British soap opera podcast. You just don't get that. 
And we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or on your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back maybe a little bit earlier next week with more I Talk of the talk Street. Of the street. Cheerio. Bye.